off forehand by Novak Djokovic. And the king of Melbourne Park is still alive. Four sets, three hours and 45 minutes into his 11th Australian Open semi-final. Ah, the Joker. He's into his 11th semi-final. The previous 10 have all gone his way. 10 from 10. Incredible stuff. Novak Djokovic, uh, unsurprisingly, still has life, still has breath in the men's singles at the Australian Tennis Open. It is crunch time, and let's uh, catch up uh, with a man who's all over it. All over it, Brett Phillips uh, joins the program, SEN Tennis Commentator. Thank you so much for dropping by. I must admit, Brett, I was a little bit concerned that you might be unavailable at about 10 o'clock New Zealand time last night when it looked like there was going to be a, a, a traffic jam of scheduling issues. Oh, Daniel, good morning. Yeah, it could have been a lot worse. Uh, we were thinking it was going to be a 4 or 5 a.m. finish, but Arena Sabalenka got to work in straight sets and then Yannick Sinner yeah, prevailed in straight sets, which sort of kept things reasonably respectable. Uh, but why on earth they scheduled a uh, Legends doubles to start the day when the whole uh, narrative has been, OK, we're reducing uh, the day session matches on Rod Laver Arena for yes. the tournament this year. We're only playing two matches, which will hopefully pretty much guarantee that the night session uh, starts uh, on time. Uh, so we're not here till 4 a.m. in the morning. And uh, for the first time, they put on another match. Uh, and, and what Coco Goff didn't start till what, 1 o'clock. And, I mean, look, we had you know two extraordinary back-to-back matches, you know, three hours for the women's and then nearly four hours for Djokovic and Fritz, which, you know, doesn't happen all the time. That's the unpredictability about tennis. It does, you know, make it interesting in that sense. Tennis is unique. Uh, we know the start time. We don't know the finish time and when the next match is going to start. And I love how my friends still ask me, are we catching up tonight? What time? I said, well, it's tennis. It's Australian <laughs> Open. I've got no idea. I mean, it could be 3 a.m., could be 10 p.m. Uh, they just don't they – don't, they can't get their head around the scoring and that there's no buzzer. There's no siren to end the contest. It's when the match ends. Uh, but, yeah, they've, I've noticed they've taken the legends off uh, the schedule uh, today. So, yeah, that's yeah. a pretty smart, smart move. Yeah, and this is, you know, a slam's one thing, right? Uh, but I think this is more part of a broader sort of attempt by the sport to stop dragging their athletes into the wee-wee hours. Because on, on the ATP, for example, you can't start after 11, right? They've actually got a hard time now, but obviously you need a little bit more leeway with, with a Grand Slam uh, event. But it just seems so idiotic to schedule that yeah. Masters game. Involving Baghdatis, you, you, if you're going to have him on doing a Masters game, you should schedule him at 2 o'clock in the morning, where he's most famous for doing work in Melbourne. <laughs> yes, that's right. He was always up at 2am after all those matches at Stellingheights <laughs> here in Melbourne, having a nice uh, feed after a lung-busting uh, three-hour, five-hour uh, battle. Yeah, look, uh, absolutely. Um, uh, put him out on court 15 as far as I'm concerned. Nah, look, they're great. It's great, great to have him part of the tournament, but you know, maybe start at an hour early at, at 11 uh, and make sure we get the two matches uh, mm. completed. But look, yeah, it's never going to be totally perfect. You're right. The ATP this year are going to be, you know, trialling uh, this scheduling um, sort of protocol they're going to bring in, but the slams op- operate independently. Um, I mean, tennis, you know, I don't know how much longer it's going to take, Daniel, but I think they're all trying to get on the same page. We've got so many governing bodies and everyone's got their own vested interests and, um, you know, there's uh, obviously huge uh, rights holders, TV broadcasters involved in the slams who pay a lot of money and there's lots of lots of uh, seats at the table uh, <laughs> discussing what's best. 
Yeah, and it's probably smart before the inevitable Saudi takeover of tennis, right? They're, they're buying everything else in sport. <laughs> shop, well, but, but, shop, yeah, it's coming. It's, it's coming. I mean, I it's think coming. we're going to have an announcement in the next uh, few months as to what the Saudi Arabia interest is going to look like, but um, where there's smoke, there's fire in terms of them having a you know, a Masters 1000 at the start of next year looks more than likely, which is disruptive to the Australian summer and yeah, but uh, and what too. that looks like, it, yeah, it's delicate at the moment. Delicate discussion. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a very diplomatic way of describing it, Brett. And you you can deal <laughs> with that down the line. Uh, you're focused on the games uh, themselves. How dare I? How how dare I actually ask about the games themselves? It was like I think I was listening to Sabalinka after her her romp to victory last night. It was really impressive performance, seventy one minutes. And then in the press conference, I think the first five or six minutes was um, journalists asking her questions about a, a potential court change and a scheduling issue that didn't actually rear its head at all. Yeah, well, apparently the players um, were offered uh, to go out onto Margaret Court Arena right next door so they could get their match uh, started, and both players uh, didn't want to do that. They wanted to play on the main court, uh, Rod Laver Arena, but that was, from all reports, that was certainly offered to them because they were two hours after the scheduled time on court on uh, on RLA. But, um, yeah, that's that's where I think... uh, that's where I think, you know, tournaments should just make the call. I mean, not about asking the players. I mean, uh, just, yeah. just make the call and get them on there. And I'm, I was just thinking last night before I went in to commentate, you know, the grounds are packed, right? I mean, let's let them all in. Just let them all in to Margaret Court, fill the place up, and let's let's get this whole tournament, um, you know, moving. And, um, you know, you've got two TV channels here in Australia. It's the host broadcaster, Channel 9. Put one on one and one on the other, and let's get it moving. But, um, yeah, it's the, anyway, these are all things that – um, you know, the AO is innovative. They, I think, I think they can lead the way in a lot of different changes to tennis. You know, where doubles is placed, scheduling. Um, you know, just just maybe breaking the norm of what we uh, normally do in tennis. There's a lot of little things that can be rectified. Yeah, I love this event. It's just two weeks of utter joy. Uh, you know, we don't get enough sleep here in New Zealand with being a couple of hours ahead, but it's just brilliant. Uh, contrasting quarterfinal. Um, uh, performances from Coco Goff and uh, Irina Sabalenka, who will now meet in the semi-finals. Let, let's talk about Sabalenka. You know, two and three, pretty dominant stuff. Well, she's been terrific, yeah, no doubt. You know, Fiontek goes out, Rebuckner goes out, it's opened up the door, hasn't it, for her to go back to back. In saying that, you know, after she won that. Australian Open 12 months ago, she stumbled big time in the semis of the other three majors. I mean, this is a sixth consecutive semi, so she's always at the business end. I mean, she delivers a, a brutal game of tennis, really. You always feel like the match is on arena's racket. Uh, when it's on, it, it's just breathtaking, and then it can just go really pear-shaped. She can, she can miss balls, throw in double faults, have a little meltdown. So that's her challenge to overcome that in a semi-final, when she can get a little bit tight. Uh, this is the first time we've seen Coco Goff tested for the whole tournament. I think it'll be the making of her. I mean, to come through that, so much maturity yesterday, back to the wall. She was down, uh, the heat at the heat of the day, and she cruised through all her matches leading up. Uh, I still like Coco in this tournament. I reckon she's grown enormously. US Open winner last year. She's a legitimate member now of the top three or four. And uh, I just think... You know, her athleticism, her ability to um, just, you know, really pick the right moment um, in terms of when to defend, when to attack. She just plays the game so well, uh, thinking her way through on court. I think she can bring, you know, Sabalinka undone. It's a shame probably it's not the final uh, from here. But in saying that, on the other side, we get a first-time finalist, which you always love to see, you know, a breakthrough at the majors. 
Yeah, it definitely does seem semi-final winner of that one is the winner. It, it just makes sense, you know, second seed against number four. Uh, I, I, I can't wait for that one. I, I've got the edge to Sap Lincoln, but I'm an idiot. Um, you know more than me, Brett. So uh, the audience, pay attention to Brett. He, he's gone Coco Golf in a pretty tight one as, 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 as I'm, pushing right, you. I'm pushing you to make a call. <laughs> you could... <laughs> oh, you could be right. Yeah, I mean, look, these tips, uh, they come back to haunt us, but oh, uh, that's my that, that's my gut feeling. And, and I like, on the other side, I do like uh, Xingwing Zhang of China, the 12th seed. Yeah who is just destined for great honours in the sport going forward. She is a huge talent and really leading that pack of Chinese women who are really emerging. So I think on the other side, um, you know, she's the one that gets through. Uh, who do you expect her to play in the semi-final? Noskova, uh, who, who beats out Siatek, uh, as you mentioned earlier, uh, up against the Ukrainian, whose name I'm going to avoid at all cost. Diana Yastrzemska. Yeah, well, she, I, she's my... Uh, likely other semi-finalist. Um, I mean, look, people sort of forget that she did get to 21 in the world, uh, Diana. She came onto the scene. Uh, COVID came along. She also um, was banned from the sport for seven months for a doping violation, which she was later cleared of. But she lost total momentum, never sort of got it back. And then, you know, we're looking at the qualifying draw here and she's the top C. We know she's a hell of a lot better than that. So she's gone through three qualifying matches and now, you know, through to a, a quarter. She's always had enormous talent and she's playing with an extra edge just with what's happening back in her country. It's, you know, a lot of emotion around her performances and uh, she's a good ball striker. So, you know, I think, you know, she gets through in that one against Noskova. Uh, to the men's singles, uh, how many times have you seen at Melbourne over the years Novak Djokovic get pushed for a set or two? Uh, he wins a tiebreaker, loses the second 640 the American now for it, and then just crushes the soul of the opposition who think for a second they might be able to beat him. Yeah, we, we know how the script's going to play out, Daniel. I've just seen it so many times. And, you know, we saw it with Serena over the years. I mean, she never played seven perfect matches in a fortnight. She was match points down and on the ropes was set down, and they just find a way, these uh, great players. And, I mean, Djokovic, you know, playing his second match uh, in the daytime. Obviously, we had the hottest day yesterday, 29 degrees. And uh, there's a bit of gamesmanship, no doubt, you know, a little bit of playing dead and, oh, it's a little bit wobbly. And uh, you know, and then, bang, he just resets. And, and um, if you thought you were right in the contest, he just takes it away from you uh, so quickly. And at, at the end of the day, he, he's uh, ball-striking accuracy and depth is unmatched. And yeah. the longer the rallies go, the longer the rallies go, you know he's going to win that battle because the opposition player has to go for more and that's where the unforced errors are going to come. It's just the pattern we see all the time. In saying that, I think Sinner, I think Sinner can really take him on here. I love Yannick Sinner and the year he's having and the tournament he's having. He has grown tenfold. Alcaraz plays Verev tonight. I think he gets through that. He's hungry. So these guys want to take Novak down right now at Melbourne Park, which has been Djokovic's home away from home, and they're ready to strike. So the business end, yeah, we're set for some great tennis over the next few days. Yeah, because... Djokovic has a full day off after finishing earlier uh, yesterday than Sinner. Had a bit of a cakewalk the previous round. Sinner needed to make light work of Rublev last night. He he needs miles in those legs. He he couldn't probably afford to have gone five last night. No, no, very true. And look, uh, the second set was... um Yeah, a real stranglehold. I mean, Rublev was, what, 5-1 up in the tiebreaker, and, yeah, that would have made it interesting. I mean, I I do feel for Andre Rublev. He's 0-10 now in Grand Slam quarterfinals, so just 
it's just a nightmare for Ruble. If he wears his heart on his sleeve, great competitor, um, but just not enough tools in the kit to really match these guys uh, at the top who just bring so much variety. They're better volleyers. They're better forward players. You know, it's just a crash and bash from the baseline, you know, for the majority of the match for Rublev. But it's got him to the top 10 because he's such a great ball striker. But, yeah, Yannick Sinner in full flight, up close where we're broadcasting uh, last night. I mean, you know, he's not much meat on the bones, but uh, (laughs) his wingspan, his coverage of getting balls out of the corners like Djokovic, how he can defend, reset, then to attack – uh, yeah, he's a he's a such a huge talent. You know, Darren Cale, our very own from Australia, uh, who's taken three players to world number one. Could he take a fourth in his coaching career? It'd be quite astronomical, and I think he's heading that way, Yannick, at some point. Brett, we'll get you out on the games today and the men's, but before that, I, I can't help but bring this up. So Nick Kyrgios comes out and interviews Novak Djokovic at the end of a, a, a Grand Slam. I thought the world is that a sign of the apocalypse. They haven't always had a warm relationship, have they? Oh, I thought, I just, uh, this is extraordinary, Daniel. This is extraordinary. This bromance (laughs) of what is going on. I mean, uh, what is going on? I don't know. I don't know. I, I just it, it just baffles me. I mean, look, any time I've got to talk about Nick Kyrgios, I've got to close my eyes and just rub my forehead because I've had to talk about him for so long, but not in the way that I would like to talk about him. I'd love to talk yeah. about him as a top 10 huge superstar of the sport. And uh, I don't look. I, I, he's I capable. Don't know if he's, gonna, he's capable. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't know if he's going to come back. I really don't. I think you know this. He, look, he's very good at the media stuff, and you know he's got other hats he can wear. And uh, you know he'll, he'll be in demand. Tennis has given him a little vehicle to set him up for the rest of his life. I don't think. I don't think there's a desire to come back and compete. He's looking at. He's looking at these young guys, thinking, "How am I going to? How am I going to go the journey?" With Alcaraz and Runa and Fritz and Sinner and Shelton and all these young guys, how, how, and and still Djokovic at thirty six is going to have the better of me because I haven't done the work to be the best athlete I can be. Uh, but anyway, anyway, I get on my, I get a little, yeah. uh, little emotional around Nick. Yeah, I, I do find it funny. Someone who hated fronting the media is now all of a sudden friends with everyone in the media. It's funny how athletes uh, work. Um, and I don't believe a single word of their love fest. And that's my humble opinion, not Brett's. Brett's got to deal with them on a daily basis. We'll, we'll get some distance between you and me on that. The, the two quarterfinals. So you've already said you expect Alcaraz to get through over Zverev. Um, Medvedev up against the massive serving pole. Yeah, big Hubie, uh, one of the nicest guys on the tour, Hubie Hercatch. He's been inside the top 10 for a little bit now, and I think his moment's going to come. Uh, he's um, probably a little bit too Mr. Nice Guy at times. Medvedev today, I mean, he's been the best hardcore player of the last three or four years. We sort of, we, we're forgetting about Medvedev. You know, we're talking about all the young guys and Djokovic, and this guy's up there in the top four. He had a great year last year, you know, twice a finalist in Melbourne, US Open winner. He doesn't want to be a one uh, a one slam uh, winner in his career, and you know he's mellowed a little bit. Daniel, he's still a bit quirky and have his moments. Uh, he's become a dad in the last uh, eighteen months, but he has still got this great desire to uh, compete and see off these young guys, and he just does everything so differently. So I think, yeah, probably a few too many tricks today for Hubie um, and Medvedev to yeah get through to an Alcaraz, I think uh, semi final. Brett, lovely to hear your voice. Keep up the fine work. In all sincerity, thank you so much for getting up uh, early. It probably feels like 4 o'clock uh, in your body with, with the, the couple of weeks you've had. But uh, enjoy the, the final few days. We really do appreciate it. No, pleasure. Thank you, Daniel.